Hey everyone, welcome to the brown box. And today, as you can see, Pranit has finally shaved the pubes off his face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, it was hard. And, you know, it just got me thinking a little bit. So before we start the podcast today, I just want to appreciate the barbers, you know? I just want to appreciate the sex of society that I don't think I've appreciated often enough. So I want everyone to, especially the brown boys, to appreciate the barber. Because you know what I realized? I think, you know, this quarantine, it's just made us realize that there's you know, stuff that we should care about a lot more than we actually do. And I think for me personally, it's just the fact that I've had someone to control my weird hair and facial growth my entire life, you know? I think it's just, it's been like a really difficult breakup with my barber. And I've had, you know, I've had a difficult time coming to terms with it, you know? Even though there were times where, and I'm going to address my barber directly here, there were times when, you wouldn't give me a student discount after 7 p.m. for some reason, even though I'm still a student after 7 p.m. And there were times where you just would refuse to accept my debit card and you made me run to like the nearest ATM in the middle of a fucking thunderstorm. Or that time where you charged me 25 quid for a haircut that wasn't even worth 15 pounds. So keeping all that, all of those differences aside, I've, I've realized how much I really, really appreciate you, how much, how much I want your hairy hands lathering my face with shaving cream. You know, I miss you. And I would do anything, anything to get back to your weird Turkish barber shop. Anything. But speaking of Turkish people, today's topic is Orientalism and representation. So you want to introduce what, uh, Orientalism yeah, so is. Orientalism, I think I'm going to start off with a quote by Edward Said, who wrote a seminal book on Orientalism. And it goes like this. <clears throat> Every single empire in its official discourse has said that it's not like all the others, that its circumstances are special, and that it has a mission to enlighten, civilize, bring order and democracy or any other form of government, and that it uses force only as a last resort. And sadder still, there are always a chorus of willing intellectuals to say calming words about benign or altruistic empires as if one shouldn't trust the evidence of one's eyes watching the destruction and the misery and death brought by the latest mission of civilization or civilizing others. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big and hefty quote and it's like a little hard to break down, but I can quickly explain why we chose this topic today, you know, so specifically we wanted, we were, we wanted to have a discussion about representation, you know, and how Hollywood specifically has fucked up representation on multiple occasions and this is clearly no secret, you know, um, there's been times where, you know, as an Indian viewer watching a Hollywood film, I've cringed at how badly a movie has represented Indian people, Indian music, Indian culture in general, you know? And the media doesn't really give, you know, convincing arguments or they they always take the same old route of just saying, oh, it's a multicultural world and, you know, I guess Hollywood needs to be more representative and all of that stuff, you know? I don't think they take into account the the multiple years that the West has just gotten representation wrong, you know, and this is, I'm, I'm not just talking about Hollywood, I'm saying before film was invented and just history in general and how um, the, the West has misrepresented the East on multiple occasions. So I think we want to provide uh, a more um, accurate and a more historical and academic interpretation of how, um, you know, the West has fucked up the representation of the East on multiple occasions. And I think this is a very interesting topic and we wanted to use specifically academic literature to illustrate our, to, point. to illustrate our points. And I know like from our last podcast, you probably lost a couple of brain cells, you know, but we're not, we're, we're here to gain them back, yeah, bro. We're, we're here to help you gain them game. back, you know, and, um, even though you can gain back brain cells, but we truly hope you can. This is the learn. fertilizer for fucking planting that. <laughs> yeah. Those brain cells. Yeah, I think we we really hope that um, you can understand more about representation and Orientalism because the ultimate goal is to tie it back to representation today. You know, and this is a lot of stuff that we've read in college and just read in history books in general, and we just wanted to sort of bring forth that point and put up a convincing argument as to why you know we need to mend the ways of representation today. And I think that's like an important conversation that we need to have in general, so. Well, for that, we gotta explore the historical 
roots of this, right? So exactly. what Edward Said was saying in his quote is essentially that like every empire, you know, whether it's the British Empire, arguably this so-called American quote-unquote empire, right? Like, uh, Edward Said is Palestinian, so he's writing a lot about in reaction to like the Israelis' um, reaction to um, America, in reaction to like the West uh, conquest essentially of the Middle East in the 80s, 90s, and especially after 2003 in Iraq, right? And I don't mean to be political here, so I'm not going to, you know, take sides on some Israel-Palestine issue or America versus the Middle East issue. But what I'm saying is I'm just explaining where Edward Said comes from. And his stance is pretty clear that he's against these kind of military ventures into, um, into Palestine or into Iraq, into Afghanistan. And he talks a lot about how almost nothing that the West says, the, what he calls it, or just popularly called like the Occident, right? The Occident versus the Orient. Nothing is really like logically consistent. You know what I mean? Like each time we invade a country, it's for like a different reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, oil is it's for the same cover. It's always the same cover. Like we're here to spread, you know, X, Y, Z. Yeah, yeah. But it's the always for like a different that's, reason. That's that that that's true. You know, and I think um, that's looking at it from like a more. Um, I guess a militaristic perspective, is, is you know, but, but that's just, the whole point of the cover, painting the Orient, you know, yeah, like the Orient yeah, is exactly is to justify conquest to, you, to your people, you know, it's, you, it's you, a legacy you, of colonialism. You portray them as backwards, you portray them as yeah. this, that. Exactly, like yeah. I, th I think it's clearly, um, and I think you'd agree with me here, like a legacy of colonialism, like very clearly, you know, I think um, there's just been this whole uh, conversation in the West for a very long time about portraying the East as exotic, you know, as as exotic, uncivilized, interesting, weird sort of way, you know, like, oh, It's like a zoo animal. Yeah. You don't want to, you, you don't want to pet, like, the the bear or whatever, but you want to look at it. You want to look at it, you know? exactly. You know, you, you wouldn't want to put your hand in the tiger you cage. Wanna, exactly, you know? exactly. You wouldn't put your, you wouldn't want to put that hand in, but at the same time, you just love to take pictures and put your three-year-old daughter in front of one to just be yeah. like, hey, look or at that. Or if it's Harambe, you're like, Scott, Scott, skinny pop, pop. But, you know, that's, sure. only, that's uh, only for, <laughs> for gorillas. Yeah, I guess that's only for gorillas. But, I mean, you know, I think it is just just the fact that um, there have just been multiple occasions about how the, especially like the British and the French Empire and just the way they portrayed the Middle East. So, you know, let's take, before we get into how Hollywood portrays the Arab world or, you know, the Indian subcontinent today. Yeah. Let's, let's examine the way that they've portrayed... Um, you know, Middle Eastern, uh, Middle Easterners or Middle Eastern society in the past, you know, there have been so many paintings and oh so many paintings by, you know, French colonialists, British colonialists about just, you know, um, white women in a harem where they're, oh, harem, <laughs> where, harem. yeah, harem, yeah. where yeah, they yeah, don't, yeah. where, you know, uh, where a brown dude is just trying to coerce them into having sex and, you know, loot. I yeah, guess it's very sexualized almost. There's a belly dancer. It's very fetishized. Yeah, belly dancing. totally, totally. You know, and just but There's I think just veil. you know, and just 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 the sort of just the sort of overall problem that I guess these colonialists had with the Middle East being as rich as it was because historically, the Islamic Empire has just completely flourished and is has has been one of the, the richest empires. Age. Exactly the, yeah, the golden the age. Yeah, Empire, right? yeah. yeah. Uh, they've 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 just been more rich than the West overall. You know because I guess they started their development out earlier. Mm. They conquered a lot of lands in Asia that were rich in minerals, that were rich in wealth otherwise. You know, and just you know the fact that they had more money than the West was in a way dis disconcerting to a lot of. Westerners, and I think when because of colonialism, the West finally came into power. They put these paintings and these images out, and hopefully, we can put up a couple of these images in oh, our yeah. podcast like if you're watching. Yeah. Exactly, if you're if you're watching them, if if, if you're watching this on YouTube, um, you know, there's there's these there's these paintings that just totally you know make it look like the the East is is not welcome into the West. They're they're running brothels where. <laughs> You know, they're employing white women, and that's just not conducive to the safety of the Western Empire. Yeah, exactly. So it just makes it. It's it's just in in that sense of the word, it's 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 very it's very um weird to look at. You know, mm -hmm. and um, I think these these paintings, and then and then afterwards there were more paintings. You know, and just more works of art, which you can even find in museums today, that that make 
the East look bad. They make the East look more exotic. And like we yeah. said at first, a zoo animal. No, and yeah. I used to buy into this ex exoticness too. Like I grew up reading the Thousand One Tales of the Arabian Nights. You know, grew up, grew up like reading Sinbad the Sailor. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. he'd be exploring around. And it's hard to like reconcile that culture of like inquisit inquisitiveness, exploring these like mythical like Persian birds that you'd see, like very intricate culture that you'd see in these books. And then like, you know, the kind of Islamic terrorism that a lot of media feeds us today. Like how do you reconcile like this exotic kind of landscape where people oh, yeah. would explore yeah. and people would like try to go for riches. Um, and then, you know, bombs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm right. sure you've heard of like the Arabian Nights. You definitely like know the, story, sure. the stories too, for, right? For like, sure, you know. Alibaba. Used to, uh, used to listen to them in Hindi, you know, these, yeah. these words. Like honestly, there's, like there's such different narratives. Yeah, of, yeah, of, for of the Arabic culture. One, one hundred percent. You know, I think it's not and just is entirely accurate. Yeah, and I think it's 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 not just limited to Arabic culture. You get around to Indian culture as well, and the way that it's hyper spiritualized. You know. Yeah. I think a lot of us are. Let's be honest. Not that spiritual. Not all of us are flexible and know how to do yoga. You know, and totally. unlike a lot of white people that would love to venture into India and find themselves. Most people in India haven't found themselves, you know, and yeah, totally. just the, just, just the, just the totally different approaches that, um, just, just the totally different way that I look at growing up in Asia versus how someone who grew up in America would look at Asians. Mm -hmm. It's just, it just paints two very, very different pictures, you know, and, um, I think, uh, we should, you know, dig deeper into, we, at least we hope to dig deeper into just the whole like colonial argument and how um, you can see in a lot of academic literature, um, the the sort of, um, the, the academic writings by a lot of Asian scholars were suppressed, you know, and just, just to make it look as if the West was the, de the, the the development of all that is holy, and by that I mean yeah. sciences, you know? Yeah, I know like, a lot of the British, like, they copied the Vedas or the Gitas, and they would, like, or, like, scientific discoveries made by Indians, right, when they colonized right, you know. the, the country, and then kind of just, like, transported it out to the West, and they popularized yeah, for, for sure. what, it, like, brown people had found, essentially, but passed it off as their own. For, for sure, I mean, you know, the numerical system that we use today, uh, which Europeans used um, as well back in you know, I guess after the Renaissance, which was popularized, the whole system was essentially the Arabic numeral system, yeah. which well started off in India, but then, you know, the Arabs adopted it and made it more convenient to use, you know, and that unitary system came to be adopted by the West as well. Yeah. But if you look at academic literature, and I think this is a book that I would be referencing a lot because this is a book that as college students, we would be asked, uh, well, as college students who are more engaged in political science or international relations, this is something that a lot of us would be asked to read, you know, and just maybe maybe our teachers would like to refer to it. And I think this is, this is a very popular book in general, you know, even if you maybe study physics in college, you know, you would probably heard of this book, The Clash of Civilizations by Samuel Huntington, yeah. you know. Um, he's a very popular political scientist, you know, and he published this, uh, was it during the Cold War or after the Cold War? I think, I think it was after, uh, let me look it up right now. Yeah, I think it was after the think, Clash of Civilizations. Because yeah. it was about like, no, I'm sure it was like it was after, after the Cold 1996, War. 1996, yeah, 1996 like, right. So He tried to move away from like, you know, China, these right. communist threats to more like cultural threats yeah so like he was islamist exactly right? he like was that's what he, he yeah saw as, yeah as a totally. cultural threat he was he was he was making um you know he was he was essentially making predictions about the new millennium hence this book being published in 1996 like yeah. four years before for the west there always started. has to be an enemy you know? it's crazy you know one enemy falls the soviets and just a couple of years later this guy <laughs> yeah exactly exactly you know, so a new enemy. right he after the berlin wall it. yeah like, did i don't know did, did these countries in iraq and afghanistan have to be our enemies I don't know. But I don't know, but I think it was definitely manufactured. Right. This kind of rhetoric Just, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We should if you call them the enemy, they're going to they're going to you know turn their guns on you one day. To, to, you totally, know? totally. And I think, you know, before before we sort of delve into the implications of him writing this book, we need to first look at what he actually says in the book, you know? And I think a lot of the times what he's referring to is the inherent cultural differences obviously between the east and the west, you know, but more so than going to these cultural differences he makes one very, very problematic argument, and that is portraying 
the the West as the center for scientific development and leaving the East out behind as just someone that sort of is more regressive in that sense. They would just care about, you know, being more spiritual. They they want to return back to a more primitive version of society as opposed to the West that has been making all these moves, uh, you know, historically and advancing their civilization. And like we said before, there's a lot of problems with that argument, you know, because, and again, that just makes us look more exotic than we actually are. Yeah. Because there's something that, there's some things that we need to understand first and foremost, and that is that without the Eastern civilization, the West would not exist. Because... In its present form. In its, right? in its, in its present, present form. intellectual... Right, exactly. Uh, Quote-unquote superiority and whatnot. Right. Yeah. What, what we learn in modern world history or yeah. European history yeah, in school, yeah. you know, which is a mandatory subject that all of us have to take. Or, you know, in middle school, we would learn about how, you know, the foundation for the West was laid by the Greek civilizations and the Roman civilizations. Well, guess what? All of that was lost in the Middle Ages. You know, the European rulers at that time were totally incompetent. You know, the feudal system and just the overall ruling policies of the kings at that time. And obviously the onset of the Dark Ages after the plague. Yeah. You know, I mean, Europe was in shambles, right? They had they had nothing to fall back onto. They had absolutely no scientific development. It's the Dark Ages for who? It's just the white people. L yeah, listen. For everyone else, for everyone else it was the Golden killed. Age. In fact, the Dark it's Ages killed. were the Golden Age of the Islamic Empire. Yeah, exactly. You know? Let me give you an example. You know, um, I think toilets and just the fact that, you know, white people didn't have a proper... Uh, well, I shouldn't say white people. The, that's Western, well, Western, the yeah. Western world, we'll cut that white people part out. <laughs> the, 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 Western, the Western world, um, it... Well, they, they, they didn't have a proper drainage system, you know. I think if you look back at the Indus Valley civilization, which is an ancient civilization, yeah. you know, that's what we're comparing it to. This is... This, which was, I don't know, flourishing like 5,000 before... 5,000 BC or something. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. A, a while back, you know. They had a drainage system that ran through the entire city. You know, there were evidences of toilets where people would, you know, get rid of their fecal matter. Yeah. Europe was literally a shit pile at this point. You know, I think All diseases... All matter went to Europe, <laughs> bro. <laughs> exactly. Well, probably because, you know, a lot of the um, But for real, diseases... you hear like people in Italy would just dump their shit onto the streets, you know what I mean? Exactly. Happens, the streets of Venice smelled so, Which so is... bad. <laughs> Which is why the plague probably happened because of these unhygienic conditions. You know, there was there was not a standard system of hygiene that was implemented in these countries. You know, and um, you know the and well coming just shifting back to the modern world, the way that the West portrays the East as grimy and you know just. Well, most recently, squad toilets. Exactly. I, I mean, I'll, I mean, I'm scared of squad toilets too. But most, but, most recently, Chris Hemsworth's uh, movie Extraction, Extraction. You know, he said, "I'm, I'm, I'm, I'm in the world's biggest shithole or something, something like that." We didn't say that. Or I'm in the world's biggest sewer system pothole. Yeah, I don't know. You know, really? but That's I think, hilarious. I think, I think Bangladesh was portrayed as very. Bahala wasn't dirty. enough, man. Yeah. Thor had to come down to fucking Bangladesh. <laughs> yeah, Thor had to fucking come down. He should have stayed in Bahala, man. What is he thinking? <laughs> but either way, he flew down and he found Bangladesh to be, I guess, a total shithole, you yeah. know, okay. which is what uh, our president referred to a lot of uh, Middle Eastern country as, no, as well Haiti. recently, you know, like Haiti and some other countries. Yeah. Well, Haiti, Egypt, you know, and I think he was, I, I think, I think he was referring to multiple countries when he made that statement, but I guess that even applies to Haiti, you know, we're, we're not only discussing, no, I mean, I'm saying he specifically yeah, did mention, did, did, did mention Haiti, yeah, but you know, there was just that, uh, there was just that sort of whole thing about, you know, the president of the free, the, the leader of the free world, free world yeah. referring to these countries as shitholes, you know, yeah. when, when you really look back, you know, I guess, um, literally Europe was the shit, I mean, I mean, very literally, yeah, you there, know, there's just a symbiotic that, relationship between the two cultures, it, it, exactly, for, you know, probably for worse, yeah, and uh, one culture has to, survive at the expense of the other, and that's a pity, right, and they've exactly. concocted this narrative too, for like thousands of years, they've artificially force themselves to be like that. Right, right. Us versus them mentality. And that's and what's unfortunate. Totally. As I was saying before, just to relate back to why I brought up the Greeks and Romans in the first place. Versus like the Islamic Empire. Versus Golden the Islamic Asia, Empire. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that there's just this fact that, you know, that a lot of people and a lot of, maybe not scholars, but I think, you know, our history teachers, our history curriculum, our history textbooks just choose to ignore is the fact that Something that's so valued in our textbooks and our history lessons, uh, which is the Renaissance, the European Renaissance, yeah. without which was which essentially kicked off the European Golden Age. You know, 
which is where we start learning about modern European history in the first place. You know, that's where our course starts off. Exactly. Something like that. So, or, you know, Western Civ courses in college, which is where that starts off. I think something that a lot of people just choose to ignore about the Renaissance is that um, the, the, the writings wouldn't have found their way to Europe if the Islamic cultures didn't appreciate and uh, preserve these writings. Yeah. Because in a lot of libraries across the East, especially in uh, the regions of the Islamic Empire, these writings were preserved and, you know, they, they were translated into Persian. And if if that trade, if the trade between the Europe and the West didn't exist at the time, if European scholars and European artists didn't stumble upon the writings about Greeks and Romans, which were, preserved, which were yeah. preserved by Islam, by well, Islamic scholars, by Islamic scholars it, it, you know, I guess our, our world, uh, you know, the, the our, our world, yeah, yeah, the, yeah the, rest, the Renaissance wouldn't have kicked off and the way that the West is portrayed today as like, you know, the, the, the golden standard of civilization, you know, because when you think of something that's civilized, someone that's posh, you yeah. think someone appreciating I think that objectivity art. is dangerous. The objectivity of a superior culture, inferior culture yeah. is dangerous. Yeah, but, you know. I subscribe to, like, a cultural relativism. Exactly. That, that whole objectivity wouldn't have existed if the Renaissance did happen, if you think about it, you know. Yeah. And I guess the East doesn't get enough credit for preserving these writings as much as they should. Yeah. And with that being said, we'll take a quick break. And yeah, after our break, we're going to be talking about the one country that did defy kind of the uh, shackles, should I say, of Orientalism, Japan. Thank you. All right, so the brown box is back, and we're here to talk about, again, that one country that kind of didn't conform to Western set ideals of, of what the Orient should look like. And that's Japan, right? So, I would, about Japan. I, I, I would, honestly, in, in, in a, I guess, not everything, but I... Uh, well, I'll hear your argument first, but I have to say I disagree with that statement a little bit, and I'll, I'll explain why. Okay. But let's hear out your argument. First. I mean, I think that Japan is a very—it's a very brave country in this. It actually is very fucked up. I mean, like, the Japan followed the West kind of footsteps to a T in a very like fucked up manner, right? Like, the, what Japan found itself also constrained for resources, um, in like the 1800s into the 1900s, and, and they felt that. You know, after its opening by um, I think Commodore Commodore Perry, right, by by the Americans, mm -hmm. we <laughs> the U.S. Navy, right, <laughs> we we opened Japan, and Japan quickly realized that they couldn't make the same mistake as their brothers in China. You know what I mean? They had to like modernize fast, and so they kind of went on this expansionist, uh, just like you no, know, like internally, like the Meiji Restoration, right, kind of industrialized Japan, um, created a new kind of workforce of like high skill, high tech jobs, high labor jobs. Um, I think that's I mean, that's good. I think you know, looking after like, or looking at the European kind of way of working and being like, hey, we have to emulate that in order to for our economy to be sustainable. Yeah, but, but I think just, you know, just it's it's conquest, it's colonialism. I think that's very interesting for for an Asian country to do that. You know, right. to justify that you racially know? too. Yeah, like, yeah. I think I think Japan. Just as Westerns. Yeah, Japan. Find themselves with like white supremacist kind of mode of colonialism. Japan said, hey, we're like descended from gods. You know, we're different from, even though we took our alphabet from China, we're different <laughs> from China, you know what I mean? We're racially yeah. superior. I think that's really interesting, you know. Right, and you that. know, just, I think, this is where, I guess, sort of our disagreements spring in, because I think that, you know, which is the sort of that, that cultural objectivity that we were talking about before, and how, for some reason, the Western culture is viewed higher in, um, I, I guess, is, is viewed in some ways better than... Uh, Asian, than the East or Asian cultures, and I think what Japan did in a lot of ways enforced this European su superiority. In, in in my sense, because let's 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 let, let, let's look at the Meiji Restoration, right? That was when Japan decided that they had enough, mm -hmm. because obviously the Americans had come in. The Americans were they it wanted was, to dictate a lot of the terms of the trade. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they were clearly flexing, and they were you know giving. Japan, the massive depots, right? Yeah. They were, they were flexing their authority, and I think at one point Japan decided that they had enough, and they decided to undertake the Meiji Restoration. Well, it's a historical process that we call the Meiji Restoration, but which is where Japan decided to adopt 
a lot of elements from Western culture, and you know that includes wearing suits, which is something that you see in Tokyo even today. The Japanese yeah. love to dress formal in formal European attire, you know, yeah. and that's just something that's carried on. Lost your Japanese schoolgirl. Then it's just short skirts <laughs> everywhere, bro. Well, yeah, the, which is just the problem else, that anime created, which is purely else. Japanese, you know. But, everybody else, yeah, you're totally Western kind of formal. Exactly, and that it wasn't just limited to that. They decided to adopt a. A, a Western ruling system as well, you know, which was a, a certain constitutionalism where the yeah, emperor's power started to diminish, yeah. right? And after that, you know, the next thing that they learned or they wanted to ape the West in was colonialism, right? And they undertook, and Japan undertook a, a, a form of colonialism as well where yeah, they yeah. obviously captured Manchuria, they, which was one of the catalysts of World War II, yeah. you know, uh, much like the colonialism in of, of European powers, you can't underscore the the importance that Japanese but, colonialism but Japan had. Japan wasn't just wasn't just um, copying. It was copying what the West was, but it had its own kind of brand, its own form. Like it it had rebranded its brand, it. Right. And that's why I think it, it it kind of rejects the Occident superiority. You know what I mean? Because like we see that Japan, like when in all these conferences where Japan would engage with the Western powers. The West would never seek to like try to colonize or impose certain treaties on Japan, right? Like they would always be they would always be negotiated with on equal on near equal terms, right? Like when you negotiate with with China after the Boxer Rebellion, it's like how can I station troops in your land for certain amounts of time? How can I do? How can I kind of like take resources or open up certain ports in your land for a certain period of time? But there was a period of time with Japan when they engaged with America, when they engaged with like the with with Europe. It was you know on how how but, should I divide this land up? Japan was the only but, Asian country but, to but, send but the troops to the Boxer being, Rebellion so, to like take up, you know, right, but that's, of, of China. But that, 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 that's my point. They were, they the were only, peers almost. That's, they were near peers. Right, but that, that, that's exactly my point. The only time that Japan and that Japan was even considered to be, uh, you know, a, a peer by European and American powers was when Japan decided to adopt certain Western customs, you know. And I think that whole process of Japan adopting these customs, it it sort of laid a groundwork for, I think, other civilizations in the area to just show that, hey, I mean, you know, we, we, clearly, we clearly can't match the Western powers if we don't adopt, you know, elements yeah. of the Western culture. And that idea in and of itself was so dangerous, you know, that, you know, you could only be a major world player if you decide to adopt an alien culture or, or adopt certain elements of an alien culture. Of course, you're not going to completely let go of your language and culture. That's something that's intrinsic in the country's identity. But the point being that they were forced to change that identity and forced to consider a superior um, Western alternative, well, well, at least what was deemed to be the superior Western alternative to thinking and to just, you know, um, to implementing their domestic or foreign policies is a very dangerous idea. And this is something that we see happening today because it's exactly this fact which has resulted in, you know, uh, terrorist organizations springing up in countries like Afghanistan and, you know, ISIS or Al-Qaeda, which no, wait, want wait, to... How does that have to how does but, but, no, 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 like, no, no, no. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with Japan, obviously. <laughs> it has to do with anime. <laughs> it, doesn't have, it, it doesn't have anything to do with Japan, but what I'm, the, the point that I'm trying to make is like, you know, all these organizations want to reject this Western way of thinking. There will be a reaction you know? to Western the, 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 Exactly. The, the, Japan's there, reaction a, was different. Right, and Japan's reaction was it different. Involve, you know? It didn't involve suicide... But in a different way, exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, suicide, uh, air, airplane bombings, you know, yeah. which I guess happened with Well, you no, know what, oh you know what, there's a... <laughs> no, I get that, but Japan's way of doing these was so unique, like to, to adopt a racial, a religious superiority as Buddhists, you know what I mean? Um, well, Japan was never Buddhist, I don't think... Oh, Shinto, they, no, no, you're or, right, actually, no, no, yeah. Shinto, like a Shinto kind of... Idea where like their emperor was a god, Hirohito was a god, right? Um, they were they, they were, were racially these, descended from like, these were samurai, kami, right? These were, gods. These these were these were these were samurai ideals, you know. If you no, see, this was religious. This, listen, look at Shintoism. This was religious. I know, I know, no, no, I I know Shintoism is, is religious, very, but okay, very, okay, no, no, look at look at what we associate Japan most with. We associate Japan most with the samurai culture, and there's a great movie directed by Robert Zemeckis, The Last Samurai, starring Tom Cruise. Oh, okay. Check it out, right? But I, th I think that movie illustrates my point pretty well, you know, with um, sort of Tom Cruise is this dude who's hired, this, this American Civil War vet who's hired as oh. a consultant. He's hired as a consultant to go to Japan and change the way that the armies in Japan are structured. 
you know, because the Japanese emperor, and this was after Commodore Perry went, uh, went into it Japan, you know, Japan. Yeah, opened yeah. up Japan to the West. And this is a lot of Japanese elites wanted the whole samurai system to be abolished, you know. So this is just a story of the sort of the, the, the last And ending. it was. It eventually was abolished. And it, it eventually was totally abolished. And this was, this was part... And samurais were, in a sense, religious figures as well, you know, because the, these were... Samurais were supposed they to were be venerated. warriors of the Lord. They were venerated. You know they were legendary. Their, ki their kids all joined the army and that led to the radicalization. Exactly. Right? You yeah, know? Yeah. So, so I, think, I think that just proves my point that, you know, the West imposing its culture even in Japan. So I think really, truly, no country was free from I, the, the, the adoption of certain Western ideals. But if you look at ideals. Shintoism, it was intrinsically about superiority and it's, it's just... It was a unique brand of Japanese. Of course, it's unique. I'm not saying that Japan lost yeah, its, its culture not. completely. You know, I, I think, think India, so India, India is complete. Uh, India is, is India is very westernized as well, and it did become quite westernized after its independence. You know, yeah. that's not me saying that. You know, everyone converted to Christianity, and, and everyone yeah, ev everyone lost Hinduism. That's not my point at all. What I'm trying to say is that these that heavy aspects of European culture were enforced on um, Asian and, you know, Middle Eastern countries such that, it, 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 yeah, such, su such that such that it made them lose part of their identity. And this yeah. was very dangerous because in the case of Japan, Japan reacted very violently, much like the Middle East is reacting very violently today. You know, Japan started a world war for God's sake. You know, I mean, it wasn't the sole cause, of course, but the Asian front was entirely Japan's fault, you know. Um, and I think that was mostly just a reaction, you know. The reason that Japan even went into or started its imperial ambitions in the first place was just to get a seat on the table, right? Because just adopting that culture wasn't enough. You know, they had to adopt these policies what? Okay. enforced by Europeans as well, you know. And I think we're getting into a very deep yeah, historic debate here. But I, you're, you're never going to make me completely agree with your point and I don't think I will completely yeah. make you agree to my point. Yeah, but I think it's just something interesting to consider in this whole debate that we have about the East versus the West, you know. Um, but but I think, think at the end of the day, Japan did react to it differently, at least. 100%, 100%. And they succeeded I mean, for a sh quite a short for, 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 for a short amount of time, time, you know, yeah, like they, they succeeded very well. Un, un, unlike the reaction, un, unlike other countries that were never viewed as equals, at least Japan found a way to the table, albeit in its, albeit with with westernizing a lot of their customs, with blood on its you know, with blood, blood on its yeah. hand, with westernizing their custom, their their entire traditions and cultures, or certain aspects of them at least, you know, but I think I I I, I think I think it just goes to show that you know. It's it's very hard for someone to completely break free from the shackles of Orientalism, as you put it, before we started discussing about Japan in the first place. But anyway, yeah, I think interesting. Yeah, I, I I think we need to segue away from um, the very deep history that we've ended Japan. up discussing for a while. Might have bored some of our viewers, and let's get to the present. You know, I want to talk about the present. I want to talk about representation today and how what we've discussed about orientalism relates to the presentation of uh asian cultures in well more specifically hollywood today yeah, yeah. so let's pull up a couple of examples why not you know uh, i think the one that's the most fresh in my memory is um apu simpson you know yeah because there was this massive outcry in the asian community you know to just sort of there was a comedian, Hari Kondabolu. It was only recent. You know. yeah, recent. It was, it was very recent. Yeah. It was very recent, you know, but The Simpsons is a very long-running show. It started in the 90s, yeah. you know, so this this representation has been going on for a long time. And the way that Abu was portrayed, you know, I think it was I think it was dangerous to a lot of uh, Asian-Americans growing up because this one example that uh, someone, that, boy, I think I heard it on Just Rain's podcast or something, but um, the, Just Rain's a... Canadian YouTuber. He's a oh, just right. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He's a he's a he's a Sikh YouTuber. Dude, yeah. He's a Sikh YouTuber. Um, Sikhism is a religion from India. For those of you who are not aware, but um, this so he he used to play the tabla growing up as a kid, you know. And there was an episode in The Simpsons where uh, Apu was playing the tabla, and that was played up for comedic effects because the tabla yeah. was portrayed as a very weird instrument to play. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't like a rock and it didn't have a rock and roll vibe going for it, and that's why that whole episode played up Apu played 
a poop playing the tabla up for laughs, you know? Mm. So, and I think he said how that, how, how he, after watching that episode and after going to school the next day and when his friends discussed that episode, he comes back and he tells his parents that, hey, I kind of don't want to play the tabla anymore, you know? It's not, it's, it's it, not cool. It's, it's not cool. It's, it's not it's 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 not yeah. normal, you know. Give me guitar, man, so I can serenade some of the babes. <laughs> Tabla doesn't get me anything. That's well, probably yeah, what he's I mean, like, man. I think Tabla doesn't get you babes in yeah. India either. But oh, the, 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 the even point, worse, dude, even the, worse. I think, I think, him. just just the, the 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 point being that he was, you know, consciously distancing himself from his culture. And I think you can pull a specific example from your life, you know, not related yeah. to a popular Yo. culture representation, <laughs> but hey, I mean. What did what did what did you ask your friends to call you when Yo, you were? I young? mean, like that was that's. Different. I know it's that's hitting different. below the belt. I know it's hitting below the belt. But I mean, no, I think not, I think I I I think I think I think it's useful. I think it's useful to talk about either so way. When you I was, yeah, so when I was young, like um, I was in kindergarten, and my teacher, she, my name is like Rohit Kiran Chari, and my teacher decided Karen? just Kiran, yeah. Oh, I said no, Karen. I'm a Karen. You're a Karen. I'm, I'm, I'm a boy I can't see you as a Karen. Kiran. And my, my yeah. teacher was just like, yo, where's Kevin Chari, right? She just dropped my first name. She mispronounced my middle name and just went on with it. And I just raised my hand and said, yeah, yeah I'm Kevin. And so for like a decade, man, more than a decade, I was just called Kevin. And I was just and like, you didn't bother changing it. Yeah, I, I didn't bother changing was, it, exactly. Was, I, I mean, but, you for, know. For, before, more, for many reasons, yeah, because for, of that exactly, distancing you know. from Indian culture. Right. I mean, it wasn't just, yeah. Yeah. And then I walked into your life, and then bro. you were introduced to yeah. the magic of Indian yeah. culture again. He I feel, take soul He filled me with that. his love, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I can feel the Indian love, man. The love right. juice. So, <laughs> well, speaking of, speaking of Indian love juice, the next thing that I'd like to talk about is the love guru. Let's talk about the love guru, shall we? Because that's what we get as fucking that's Indians, right? Get. That's what we get. We get we get Mike Myers doing a terrible Indian accent in a movie set in India about, I guess, the Indian principles of love. Yeah, no, and you know? it goes back to like that Kama Sutra, that sexualization of our, our culture, of yeah. our religion, right? That anything can just be, you know, kind of simplified down to sex, essentially, or compartmentalized into like something sexual. You know? Right. And I think it's, that's pretty... Interesting. Yeah, it's 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 kind of, it's kind of like portraying like white women in a harem in paintings. Yeah, I was watching Gossip Girl and, and dude, they're they're talking about the Kama Sutra. Gossip Girl, man, you know what I mean? <laughs> but like, yeah, it's and, such a, you know, and, that's the thing that sticks with with the West mind. Like, and, it's and, so and, weird. And Kama Sutra, in and of itself, in India, is not a big deal. You you see, it's not a big deal. Kama yeah. Sutra is really not like I'm, I'm I'm I don't have conversations. But the with, Office, they talk about it too, like in every popular yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's 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 not it's not a major talking point in Indian spirituality the way that Indians perceive Indian they're, they're Indians perceive yeah, spirituality at all. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's not mentioned. Um, I mean, I guess you know, and this just sort of feeds into like that harmful narrative of you know the of India being a very very spiritualized and you know liberated country you know where you know um, a, a middle-aged white woman can just go and find herself in you know like eat pray love you know I don't know what the fuck Julia Roberts was doing in that movie and the whole book in general you know like I get it um you know a lot of people find Indian food exotic I yeah. guess because it gives them the shits, but I don't know, you know. <laughs> that's, they, they, they never had the shits before. Yeah, they, it, it's, it's almost go. as if yeah, it's almost as if like white food doesn't give them the shits, you know. It's 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 like saying, <laughs> Taco Bell. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's like saying it's like yeah. like <laughs> well, yeah, you know. I mean, I guess you, your food should be giving you the shits. If you're not getting the shits by eat like after eating your food, then something's wrong with your food. I'm going off on a tangent here, but I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. you should be excreting afterwards. And this is like the fourth time where excrements has have been brought up in the cool <laughs> while, while yeah while while in the brown box while yeah. discussing brown cultures. But anyway, you know, moving away from that, um, well, it goes to show like how much how simplified our cultures <laughs> become, right? Yeah, it, it, exactly. You know, and. I guess as as an Indian, I have never thought about spirituality as something that 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 that's integral to defining me. You know, okay. whereas the whereas the way Hollywood represents it, a lot of the times, the reason that India exists is just so that the main Western character can find himself or herself in a country that's this really exotic spiritual place. You know, when spirit when spirituality has never been my defining trait and for millions of people is not their defining trait you know in fact there's this great book that actually i would like to recommend to anyone else this is a book by um philosopher by economist nobel prize winning economist turned philosopher amartya sen 
who 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 talks about this one part of Indian religion. I it's a really long Sanskrit name that I can't even be, begin to pronounce. But right. uh, I guess in if, if you want to shorten it down, it's called the Charvahaks, which is a part of uh, you know Hinduism that essentially talks about spirituality. It's 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 part of Hindu texts, the Vedas. You know, it's a separate part of the Shastras and the Vedas, where he talks, where there's a, a whole school of people that believe that you don't need to be religious in order to achieve a a fulfilling or successful life. Uh, you know, yeah. you, you don't need to be spiritual at all. The 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 way that a lot of Hollywood films portray it as, you know, you don't need to engage in meditation. You don't need to do any of that. You know, it it presents a very logical thesis about atheism within Hinduism. Yeah. And that's a really, really interesting part, you know, because there's no, there's no sect in the Bible saying that atheism is right, you know, or yeah. there's no part of it in Islam saying that. But I think, I, I guess, you know, in, in Hindu readings, you have, you have that, it's not a prevailing school now, obviously. It's a possibility, you know? yeah, it's, 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 it's not, lead to the same exactly, and it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not very good for a big religion to really promote this school but the point is that if in, big religion is a business i mean if you're talking about like a business in terms it's of not business. good of, of to course, say that you don't, you don't gotta buy our product to be happy right yeah and that's yeah. what they've done they've, they've commodified religion like right every, everyone if, I, I think everyone that's has but this is a good school that uh, particularly exists in 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 hindu culture and this is not talked about at all which just goes to show that Spirit, that spirituality is not a defining trait of our culture you it's know? commodified it's commodified it's sexy and whatnot and after this, we're going to talk about yeah. using a break. But I, I really want to get into the meat of the argument, the real meat of the representation debate, which, in my opinion, is absolutely the worst compared to, like, representation of anyone else in all of Hollywood. And that is Middle Eastern people, you know? Uh, I, I, this, I mean, think about it. You know, in Hollywood, Russians were the villains during the Cold yeah. War, you know? And this just reflects that whole, like, in a weird way, Hollywood is reflecting the ideology of Samuel Huntington because after the Cold War, the yeah. West looked to pinning a different enemy. They wanted a different national enemy that they could almost unite yeah, against. Hollywood you know? is definitely like a vehicle yeah. for like Western train of thought, for, for better and for worse. Yeah, exactly. But before like Middle Eastern, like I still want to touch upon like one more aspect of like Asian sure, sure, sure. representation sure, in Hollywood. Sure. And that's like, um, I don't know if anyone's heard of this movie called The Joy Luck Club. And it also, and kind of similar to maybe Slumdog Millionaire, it portrays the host country. And Slumdog Millionaire is India. Joy Luck Club is like China, right? As kind of like a backwater. All right, yeah, so back to the Joy Luck Club. So the Joy Luck Club, yeah, portrays this host country as kind of a backwater. But it also kind of still tackles like the patriarchy inherent in a lot of these like Eastern cultures. I thought that was Which really exists. I mean, I'm, I'm, like, I, th I think that's something that we should specify right now is that a lot of problems exist with, East. within Eastern cultures. Yeah. They're quite regressive in, you know, even if you don't look at them in terms of explicitly Western terms, you know? And it was an, but it was an honest portrayal of, like, Eastern culture, and it was rejected by Asians in this. Uh, that's what, that's what yeah. I've been hearing, at least. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I was I reading think... this article, like, before called, It's Time to Forgive the Joy Luck Club, because a lot of Asian men were really, totally. really upset that this kind of portrayed, like, it was called a Chinese male bashing club movie, right? So a lot of, a lot of Asian men were very pissed at this movie and saw an honest, what, what, what would have been an honest portrayal of their culture as oh, Western. You totally, know what I mean? They, totally. I think, I think so that's they why... they use that label of a kind of like whitewash to kind of also deny their own sins. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. In, in, in terms of you cinema, know? the Joyla Club, and I guess it was a book at first as well, you know, yeah, it, was it was adapted about, from yeah. a book. And if you want to look at it in that terms, I think, you know, it's so much better of a movie for Asian representation as opposed to Crazy Rich Asians, which is also adapted. Yeah from a book, but the point being that Crazy Rich Asians was a safer segue into the Asian market, you know? And I, I think, in terms cinematically, I don't appreciate Crazy Rich Asians at all. I think it was a very generic middle-of-the-road rom-com that one can totally be forgiven for missing, you know? Yeah. You're not missing anything great, absolutely. But that being said, I think it was still, and you can make the same, I, I would make the same argument for Black Panther as well. I thought that was not the best movie either. Okay. But both of these movies, were important because you know just being held by asian filmmakers with an all asian cast yeah. with with what was mostly an authentic asian story i think just getting that into the public space was a big step in and of itself it was yeah but still for asians and asians just play like this asians including like me and you yeah like we play this weird card 
about re about representation where it's like we want representation but we but don't we want, want it safe. honestly though. Yeah, we don't we want, want it safe yeah, yeah we yeah. want to like get into <clears throat> college by doing all these like wild shit and not being you know grouped as like one homogenous entity but yet, like but but movies like um better better luck tomorrow i don't know if you heard of that no we're like a group sure. of asians they like they steal shit they end up killing people all to get into college right like the deconstruction of the minority myth status is something we still are afraid to give up. That privilege of being a minor, model minority. Model minority. Is, I, I That agree. status we're afraid to give up. I we agree. still, we, we have to. We want to in order to like, diversify ourselves. In, in, in order, in order to... play both yeah. sides of the aisle, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. just so funny to me. That's all. It, it, I, I don't know where I stand on the issue. 100% no. I want to be looked I, I, at I as some sort of exotic, you know, beautiful think, genius guy or just some you know, regular American. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 think, I think, you know... But we do play both cards. I think it's really interesting. You, you, you brought actually, up... You, you, Better yeah. Luck Tomorrow didn't perform well at the uh, box office. Neither did Joy Luck uh, Club. Joy Luck Club didn't. Okay. So Well, Slum, Slumdog Millionaire, which is a film that did well at the box office and the award season... It was shot on by Indians. It, I mean, was, it really was. Yeah. Listen, it, 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 it really was. Because there was and a scene. There was a scene in particular... Uh, which Crazy Rich Asians, which yeah. goes on to make millions. But yeah, totally. Which was, um, which, was, which was said in... Uh, Dharavi, which is the biggest slum in the yeah, world, Dharavi, you know, yeah. and which uh, it, it was a scene in Slumdog Millionaire which showed the boy wading through shit, and people got angry. Indians got angry, saying, "Hey, you can't represent us like that," you know. Even even that fecal matter, we're scared of the yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. We were scared of the fecal. <laughs> wow, this is fecal, oh my god, Jesus Christ! I, this is a running motif. It goes back to totally, totally matter. unintentional, by the way. But apparently, shit is a running motif in this podcast, and we're also called the Brown Box. Well, I, I don't know. Destiny, destiny, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's time to embrace our people matter. But um, people who were, uh, you know, there, there were Indians who were pissed, and um, they they were just uncomfortable with the reality. But you have to portray the reality as well, you yeah. know. And the reality is not great. Obviously, the reality is owing to colonialism in India, right? Yeah. That's a problem. Totally. We brought up colonialism multiple times. I guess you know the West can't be immediately forgiven for colonialism. But the point being that, you know, you you should be able to take that chin up if you want proper diversity. If you want authentic Indian movies, you're going to get safe authentic movies. Yeah, exactly. Being a model, exactly. And, you know, you're never going to give up that whole myth of being a spiritual country and being defined by your spirituality if you're not willing to, you know, just allow filmmakers to make more authentic movies more about India, exactly. right? Yeah. People, people are always uncomfortable with reality. I guess, you know, that's why indie movies in Bollywood also don't perform as well a lot of the times because people are just afraid to face the truth, right? And I think, I think it's... Yeah, it's, we it's, claim it's, to want it, though. We, we claim, claim to, to want, want it, yeah. And it. it's a... And I think this is a good, like, sort of counter-argument that we're presenting to this whole thing because... It's 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 important by both sides to recognize that there are problems. There's problems with the way that Hollywood is doing it, but there's also problems with the way that we want it. Right? Yeah. I thought Master of None was a great show. Same. You know? I loved it. It was excellent for Indian Americans, you know, and I think it projected the Indian American experience so well, you know. Yeah. There was an episode particularly about uh, him not being comfortable with eating bacon because he's Muslim in the movie. Yeah. I'm Hindu, and I remember trying beef for the first time. You know, yeah. I. Like, my grandfather once told me when I was little, when I just moved to Singapore, he did tell me, he's like, just remember, if you eat beef, I will disown you. So, don't eat beef, you know? Yeah. It's a serious thing. And I thought, I was, I mean, like, my, my parents, like I've, 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 I've just told my parents now, after moving to a different <laughs> country from them, and I just told my parents that I've had beef before, and they were fine with it, oh, right? Yeah. I, I told them I went to, like, a really expensive steakhouse, and I had steak there, you know? I, I owned up to it. I was like, you know... And it, this, Bro, is, this, right, is, this is a if crime, I'm, dude. This yeah, is yeah. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm admitting, well, it is. It that's is. the problem. Is, is, My grandfather said he disowned me. Is, I mean, yeah. it's 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 a big deal, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's clearly a big deal, right? And I thought I thought that genuine experience that uh, you know of of that that facet of Indian experience, you know, that it was so real. It was so raw, and it was so real, you know. And we need more stories like that to project a more accurate truth, right? Yeah. Crazy Rich Asians is very, very safe, you know? It didn't make any comment, it didn't make many commentaries or any good commentary about Asian culture, right? And, you know, I guess that, that that's a good thing. It's, it's if, if in this representation debate, you know, obviously, and the, the Farewell as well, that was a great movie too. 
uh, oh, Aquafina again. That, that yeah. that's a good that's a good represent and that did well at the box office. You know, yeah. It, so it it's earned, good, I mean, that's a good trend. Yeah, that's good. that that that's a good trend. And that that question the Chinese culture of not telling someone old in your family that she's dying. You know, because yeah. that, that that that's what the movie is essentially about. And yeah. it was helmed again by an Asian filmmaker who was telling a predominantly Asian story. You know, and. Just like a lot of feminists also camp- are, are, are campaigning for, you know, women filmmakers to tell women's stories, you know? Yeah. Similarly, and I, th- there were a lot of problems with Slumdog Millionaire as well. That was also made by, like, a white dude, right? Yeah. I think the movie would have been better if it was helmed by an Indian filmmaker because then you can understand the, the nuances wants, of the culture yeah, as well. Right. So I think that's, that, that, that's a contract that we need to be willing to accept. Like, hey, we're ready for real stories. But provided that we're getting these real stories, they need to be helmed completely behind the camera and in front of the camera by a diverse cast. And it's, it's, okay. it's, it's, I, I, I think, well, you don't sound convinced by that for some I mean, reason. that just sounds like, I mean, I think as long as you have a good experience, you know, with, I, I see white, you know, white actors in Bollywood too. Like, as long as you know the culture intimately, I don't know if you can segregate it by race. But no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not segregating average, it. But on mean, average, Indian people know about their culture and their country more. I get what you're. I get what yeah, you're. Like, yeah, like yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. that's just a weird thing. I mean, I'm not saying Danny Ball did a bad job. You know, he obviously he understood the culture. You know, yeah. and a, a white director can understand the culture too. You know, um, an Indian director can make a movie about um, like sort of Eastern Asians as well, right? If you yeah. understand the culture, if you put in the time to under... My, my point being, you put in the time to understand yeah. that culture, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think it'll be just easier for Hollywood to f- at least temporarily give the reins to Eastern filmmakers for helming Eastern stories because then that way they can look at these movies and they can learn more nuances about the culture rather than, you know, doing a full 180 and investing the time themselves at first. And then after that, obviously, if we're in a more diverse globe in general, in a very ideal world, you know, yeah, yeah. then anyone can helm any story, you know. True, it's, but it is that's, yeah. that's, that, that's the point. But, yeah. you know, and that's a very noble sentiment, but I need to, I have to talk, about, we have to talk about Middle Eastern, um, you know, representation yeah. because, yeah, like, like we said before, you know, First it was the Soviets, and now the West needs another enemy. Yeah. And it clearly, very, very clearly, there's no two ways about it. It is brown people, Muslim people, Middle Eastern people, right? And that's uh, it's actually a very topical podcast because Eid was just three days ago. And I think this is a good time to just generally discuss. Reflect on the And reflect and just generally discuss the overall sentiments, you know? Um, um, so... There's there's some things that Hollywood clearly needs to improve. For once, whenever a Middle Eastern character or a brown character is introduced, you know, he always has this scary rag, just scary ass beard and this scary ass Middle Eastern music. It always, always by default plays in the background, you know, like. Sufi music, Middle Eastern music, Sufi. that shit bangs. The snake charmer music. It's, yeah, oh. the, 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 snake, the snake charmer music with India, you know? I that, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, music, that's so important. You know, even for Indian movies, they play the same sitar, broken-ass music that they've been playing for years and years. Yeah, no, actually, it's, speaking of snake charmers, like, this realm of magic, right? Like, in, in Arabia, it's yeah, realm yeah. of magic. The, the jinn, like the jinn out of the bottom yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I feel like that relates a lot to kind of like a heart of darkness kind of sentiment where like the map like literally the map we're of Africa, really going right? academic here well, like no the map of yeah. the, uh, back in the day was just like it was dark like nobody knew how africa actually looked like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just like that nobody actually knows what these countries are like and that's why it's shrouded in mystery you know yeah I mean, instead of being in that space instead of being in that space aspects. geographically or economically yeah. we're in that space culture the people must be mysterious too if i don't know what the landmass looks like you know what i mean if, it, if it's 100%. such a mystery and that's 100%, 100%. why I think. 100%. That's just really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, idea of music, totally, mystery music. Totally, you know? And, yeah, and m- music, can, yeah. yeah, music, I feel like... is. And if everyone's a mystery too, you can easily make them a villain, you know? There we go. Yeah, because you don't know the full facts about them. You don't know their, you don't know their story, you yeah. know? And that, that that's why I think overall this whole thing is so important. I mean, music as an industry, it's almost as if whenever India is introduced in any documentary, in any film, otherwise... They play the same classical... It's, it's as if they don't know that Bollywood as a diverse industry exists today, you know? Yeah. With great music and different music, which has even borrowed elements from Western music, Great you know? movies like Tigers in Dahe. 
Oh, just kidding. Well, just I kidding. Don't, just kidding. I don't want to give any so much time yeah. shout out <laughs> in this podcast whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, never mind. That's just, that's just insulting. It's a disgrace. That's yeah. just insulting to Indian culture. Um, anyway, uh, you know, just, I, I guess just talking about Middle Eastern representation is so important because there have been so many Academy Award nominated movies with like Zero Dark Thirty, you know, a, a good movie. I think it was a yeah. great movie and, you know, portrayed sort of that whole Osama bin Laden manhunt. What, noble, yeah. It was, it, was, it was very noble, you know, and American Sniper, you know. But the problems, it's kind of the problem with these movies, you know. In, in both of these movies, at one point, the Azan, which is the Muslim call to prayer, uh, which, is, which is what a mosque delivers, I don't know, five times a day, because Muslims are supposed to pray five oh, times a day. Yeah. In both of these movies, an Azan was portrayed as an introduction to the villains, you know. Almost making it seem as if, and maybe, maybe I'm reading into this. You know, I I would love to hear what certain Muslim viewers or Middle Eastern viewers have to say about this. Obviously, yeah. right? But from my perspective, what I viewed it as was it, it was it was in a sense like weirdly offensive to Islam. You know, by conflating an extremist with the Azan, which is the call to prayer. Because, and this is something that the media keeps emphasizing all the time. You know. Hey, you know, Islam is not the any Muslims are not the enemies like terrorists are, extremists are, you know. But I guess they never really take it to heart when it comes to this kind of representation it's just because lip service, man. it's, it's, it's day, really it's just, just lip service, service, honestly, you know. Yeah. And uh, the, the the kind of stuff that we heard in the previous election, you know, about uh, was it Ted Cruz who said that they wanted to closely or was it trump who wanted to closely monitor oh, muslim mus- yeah monitor mosques and muslim communities i think it was trump yeah i mean either way it's clearly well he's the president so it's even more resonant coming from him yeah because that clearly shows like that the sentiments of the west versus east you know in a weird way that that um makes the prophecy of Samuel Huntington's very, very negative and often inaccurate book come true in a very weird sort of way, you know, so... Well, you can't be Muslim and American is what they're... Right. What, what you can imply. Yeah. that kind of policy. Yeah, and... and right, your citizenship is suspect. And, and let's, 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 let's look at Iron Man 3, which is one of, like, earned a billion dollars at the box office, one of the okay. most successful yeah. movies, part of the Marvel Universe, which <clears> is the most profitable industry in, in Hollywood at this time, you know? Well, the Mandarin was in the comics is in East, uh, well, is, is an Asian He's character Asian. who has mystical powers when he wears 10 rings, yeah. right? But I, obviously, I, I personally loved Iron Man 3. I thought it was a great film, you know? And again, I may be reading too much into this, you know? Um, but, you know, just the fact that they completely changed the whole plot of that and they turned, and the, the main villain was a terrorist, you know? He was, he was, he was someone who, you know, like sort of the, the, the terrorist was the face of the operation behind something that was way more sinister. Well, that and was I'm, them trying to sidestep the racial was, limitations, though. That was well, their way of sidestepping racism, essentially. I, I guess. don't really blame them for that. That's, yeah. why I read, that's why I heard at least, what I read. Because I don't think well, I've seen I think, I, I, th- I, think, I think that was an easy justification on their part as well. But, yeah, I guess that, to, to be fair, that wasn't one of the most, like, offensive portrayals of terrorism. I mean, I, again, you know, terrorism should be portrayed. It is real. You know, it is a real threat. But... The problem comes when you start conflating terrorism with just the Islam that millions and millions of people, see billions of people around the world practice, yeah. right? That's when, that's when shit can get really, really messy, you know? And just that weird distinction where people are not, sep- are not able to separate extremist politics from Islam is when stuff gets really, really problematic. Yeah. And um, that's just, that's just like, like, that like I said before. authorization too. I mean, as long as you can keep yeah. That narrative going, you can keep justifying yeah. military excursions into different areas of the world and stuff, right? So Totally, totally. And, uh, you know, I, well, at, at least the one good thing that we can agree on is that so far not a lot of movies have portrayed the Iraq war as good. Yeah. Because in a lot of cases that would if have been If John Wayne were still alive, motherfucker would be in a cowboy, though, you know, whipping those Iraqis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah, already yeah. know. I mean, totally. Just totally. like you did with the Native yeah, Americans yeah. in the 60s, you'd be like, yeah. oh, what the fuck, Iraq? <laughs> yeah. The, the, the... So. I mean, we're just a couple of decades away yeah. from that. In, 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 <laughs> a lot of, in a lot of cases, the white savior myth exists. I, extraction got a lot of flack. Again, bringing extraction up again, the Chris Hemsworth movie on Netflix. A fun action rom. You know, the action sequences in that movie were great. But it did feel a little white savior-y to me. You know, because when I was watching, uh, 
the great actor, a great Bollywood actor is in that movie. His name is Randeep Hooda, okay. right? He was the he was the other mercenary in the movie who was sort of helping the kid get out of Bangladesh. Okay. The the the, the brown guy who killed everyone on uh, Chris Hemsworth's original team, and then he teamed up with him yeah. to help the brown uh, the 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 little dude get across the bridge, right? And um, personally, I thought he was every bit as competent as Chris Hemsworth, you know. But then again, to make it work in Hollywood, to make the, a, a movie helmed by, you know, like like a big sort of Hollywood uh, production house, they had to bring in a kind of a white savior in the film to make I'm it look. Sure, I don't know how much I actually buy this idea of a white savior, like or this criticism of it. Like, what if Chris Hemsworth was brown? Just that one small change. Like, I'm curious. Like, what would people think? Right. I mean, like, how that, central that, that, is that, that, one's whiteness to their? Role of a white savior. To, to, to the role you know that they're I mean? playing is, I mean, you what, know, if, what, if what weighs more, the savior part or the white part? Like, what do people have a problem with more? I don't understand. Because like, the the, the, the if, white if, part. If Chris Clearly was, the white if part. Chris was brown, though, it, then would, it would, would people still um, find it problematic? That's the point. They wouldn't because the white part it's is problematic. Weird. Isn't that kind of weird? It, it, it sounds weird to me, at least. It just feels weird. I I I won't say so if because there was just like a no no no. Okay, okay, think, think about it. Think about I it think this way, right? One's it's, role should intrinsically be problematic, not their race. You know what no, I mean? No. Okay. Okay. Think about think about the last of the Mohicans, right? Which is that oh, Kevin yeah, Costner movie. My dad always quotes that. I, I haven't read it. Yet. Yeah, but that that movie and that book in general has a big problem because a white dude saves a bunch of Native Americans, right? From the from 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 a sort of like imminent destruction. It's almost it's almost right. it, it almost okay, the, no, no. the the, the problem the problem with the white savior idea is that it promotes that weird idea of um you know of it 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 shows that in order for like a culture and civilization to save themselves they need to accept help from an outsider who is often a westerner. Yeah. And that brings us back to sort of that idea of orientalism where the west thinks that the east is weird so they're trying to destroy their culture and someone who's good needs to help in and save them you know yeah this is found in a bunch of movies ranging from like lawrence of arabia last of the mohicans yeah. extraction is not a big culprit in this totally no, like no, but it's just no, I, I it's, it saying. just promotes a weird it's idea because, because because i thought okay. i thought i thought randeep huda was perfect and was probably able to get from like a narrative standpoint was just able to go into Bangladesh and save, you know, the guy himself, the save, save the kid himself, yeah, you know? Yeah. You really didn't need, uh, need like, like, like an Australian big dude coming in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if he was Thor, that makes sense. But he, <laughs> that was just makes normal, sense. he was just a normal, he was just playing a normal white guy in the movie. We're trying the to fucking fight back, yeah, it's yeah. a Norse savior. Yeah, get, get God of War, get, get Kratos up. in there, get, get him in there. That that's what makes sense. the North savior man. But, and I think, that's really what's problematic with the idea like of that. the white savior and with that we'll take another short break so i think we had a very productive discussion yeah. it was a very long discussion and i think we we appreciate for we appreciate the people who stuck around and listened to the whole discussion we had a lot of fun yeah. doing this informative session you know i i thought like referencing at least personally for me referencing academic literature and just going back and looking at history to describe a problem that we face today is was was very useful and was a useful way of looking at the representation debate and making hopefully making our viewers look at the representation debate as well and we understand that getting into the very nitty-gritty historical details might have been boring for a lot of you no i think it was dude i think it's fine like japan right it's Interesting discussion, I mean, no, different no, no. perspectives. Don't, 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 don't justify it. I'm just saying, like, just generally. What? It's not a, <laughs> I'm just saying, it could be yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, 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 it's no, interesting no. to me. No, it, it is, it is, it is interesting. It may not be interesting Dude, to everyone. What I if totally I were to walk out of the podcast? Right? Oh, wait, we, I should pause because we, we're not going to record. Are we going to keep that in? The, well, no, no, but some of it, like, well, yeah. Dude, we should have drama where I just walk out of the podcast. I'm like, I'm done. I just finished the rest or something. I don't know. I mean, wouldn't that be funny, bro? If we had like built-in drama. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, we want to keep it as authentic as possible. That's the thing. Yeah, but I, I think I think what I was just trying to say. You can no, start recording. Just start, okay. I think I think what I was just trying to say with that was that you know this podcast clearly it was initially you know born out of boredom because. You know, we just wanted to talk to each other. We didn't get to have the same conversations during quarantine. Yeah. And I think we just wanted to show that, you know, there's no one set theme of this podcast. Yeah. If we did discuss something that was relatively benign, the last podcast, what we're going to discuss in other episodes would 
would would be a lot more academic, deeper analysis, historic in a sense, you know. We're obviously trying to make it as fun as possible for everyone, and that's why in our next episode, we will be discussing a much lighter topic. But then again, you know, there will be some episodes here and there which will... Be but very, to pay respects to the topic, you yeah, get a deep exactly. historical get deep examination. Yeah. That's all we did, and I hope I hope we did that um, to yeah. an extent. And I still, I mean, I'm still so, like so much in the dark about Greek history or like Japanese history. Believe it or not, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I, there's still so much for me to learn too. And we just totally, totally for real. We had like a surface level discussion almost, like just throwing words like the Meiji Restoration around. Like, there's there's so much to yeah, dissect. and you know, but, you know, one hundred percent. There's so much. To yeah, dissect. we didn't we didn't even have the time to get into a lot of the. Um, this is deep for two yeah. college kids in quarantine. But yeah, this is because, because Meiji Restoration may be something that I've read about or learned about, but it's something that a lot of people watching this podcast wouldn't exactly know what it is. It was you, yeah. You're right, it was a very surface-level discussion as it was, but I think it would possibly make you a more interesting person to talk to if you would stick around and maybe... Make maybe, you sexier, maybe, man. Maybe, maybe, you know... This podcast is to help you get whammy. <laughs> That's the end goal. And for women to get men. And, we have and both. to get men, bro. Yeah. So, uh, or, and, and you know what? Or anything a man to get between, a man or a woman to get anything in between, you know? Well, that's all but, this podcast. We're just spitting out history <laughs> yeah, yeah, for we're sex just, appeal, man. <laughs> exactly. But, well, I mean. That's the incentive. No, and we're just joking. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I, 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 think, I think it was a very interesting discussion for the both of us. No, it you know? totally And was. we would love to just do as many of these discussions as possible, but we would love to hear your feedback on it as well. And we hope this inspires you to like look deeper into these, because as you said before, and as I said before, this is service level. You know, there's so much to look into. Yeah, if, if there's any, if, 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 you, if you want us to discuss one particular historical event, that's something that both of us were wanting to do in the first place, yeah, you know, but true. we didn't, we didn't want to get in too deep, you know, we, we, yeah. we don't want to, we don't want to go balls deep into just pull-out one. Pull-out game is strong. Yeah, our pull-out game was strong. We, we just didn't want to go balls deep into one particular historical topic, if that didn't just interest enough to you. But if you enjoy these history or more, uh, conversation, more, uh, I don't Back-driven. know. Academic. Yeah, academic discussions. More, more, academic, more academic discussions. discussions. We, we would love to hear from you and if there's anything in particular you'd like us to discuss because yeah. we're both pretty big history buffs. You and know? we'll do the research. And we'll, we'll, we'll pay the respect. Gladly. I mean, yeah. gladly. We have nothing else to do now. Or so. if you want to correct us in the comments, you know, roast us. Totally, totally. If, if <laughs> there's your viewpoints that you want to talk about, but I had a lot of fun doing this and the next episode will be a lot lighter, hopefully make you lose more brain cells. That is another goal of this podcast. But like we said, we will help you retain some as well. So with that... Thank you for watching and we'll see you next time. We'll see you you. next time.